following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, still in search of our very own theme song. It's only been however many years, but hey. Who's counting? Who's counting, right? <laughs> Welcome to the True Wealth Show. Dave Little John in studio with me as always. Katie Shook. And happy to join. Happy to have you. Uh, On although, this wonderfully miserable, rainy Tuesday. It's <laughs> not very attractive out there. Although, can I tell you, I checked the weather. So I am traveling this weekend to California to visit family. Um, and I checked the weather. It's 97 degrees down there. How does that make you feel? Like I'm not going to pack the right clothes. <laughs> exactly. Like like I'm going to be too hot. Uh, How it made me feel was, crap, my legs are a little white right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've seen you do these trips before. They won't stay white. No, they'll go to resort red. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, I swear. They'll go gonna... to, it hurts to wear pants red. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm gonna... <laughs> I'm going to make a foundation color, makeup color that's called Resort Red because there's plenty of white people that have gone down and gotten burnt and yes. they all come back Resort Red. And I have to say, um, you, you resemble that remark uh, less than you. I mean, <laughs> I thought I, I thought I was pale <laughs> no. until I met Katie and, and like fair is is a really an understated term. <laughs> but it's not. The sad part is it's not even like the cute fair where it's like the snow white fair complexion. It's just, no, I'm white and then I have freckles and then I burn like it's not. Yes. It's not even fun. I know, but the I three was, stages of pain, right? I, I, I looked at I looked at Sophie and I was like, I probably should put some self tanner on. She's like, Mom, you have any? Because you should. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I got Ooh. burned by an eight year old. That's awesome. Yeah. True wealth moment right there, right? Burned by yeah. your own child. <laughs> See what you've done. You've made this. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it is it's so it's yeah, and it's also Taco Tuesday because we were uh, talking about tacos. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, look, here's the thing about pale complexions you're very good at synthesizing vitamin d <laughs> oh is okay? that what so is? your european ancestry is paying off here oh okay <laughs> I'll, let, let's go with that one <laughs> all right yeah because who doesn't need more vitamin d right i know i will uh, make sure to take my sunscreen mm. and behave although it's my whole plans for what i thought i was going to wear to disneyland have now changed so uh-huh. see here's the real truth it's like well i'm gonna go down to california and i might actually you know chase mice yeah so. oh so i gotta do a shopping spree wait what that's okay i don't mind darny darn darn pack their own clothes time to go shopping so anyways all right well look uh we have we've been discussing what it is that we need to discuss and as you know, we cover a broad array of topics on this show, and there's been one of them that has been sort of running through my brain a lot lately because there's been all of this very recent industry change, and it's calling things into question in an interesting way. Uh, as some of our listeners may know, uh, it's been a couple of weeks now, but there was a big announcement that came first from Schwab. Charles Schwab, right? who is, they're a custodian, if you're unfamiliar with what that means. That doesn't mean they clean things. Right. It's not the, the custodian. Think of it as a custodian is a caretaker or a, in, a keeping thereof. Okay. So they're, okay. So, so a caretaker, if you think about custodian is different than a janitor. Right. Okay? The custodian has 
more significant duties. They typically have keys and other responsibilities that, that comes with the position, but they're the caretaker. Right. So in the investment world, a custodian is also a caretaker. But in this case, think of custodian as in custody. Right. So they have, they, pos- they not possess, they have your money, like you've entrusted them with your money. And all the record keeping. Yeah, they're and... the holder of the money, right? Right. When you go to a bank, a bank is a custodian. Right. Right. My checking account at a bank is, custo- is a, custody. The bank, bank has the custody of the funds. They're actually in possession of them. And then they accept instructions from me for what to do with it, right? Right. And the instructions are formalized in the form of, okay, well, you can have, you come into the branch and you can request money. You can request us electronically move it to another institution. You can use a debit style card that is linked to the account that will give instructions for party to party transfer of funds, or you can write checks. Right. Right. And that's pretty much the options. Right. And they're all. Uh, or I guess maybe wiring money. Right. So, so there's your sort of five options that come with a standard banking relationship. Those are similar options to what come from an investment custodial relationship as well. But then there is, there's more, right? You add to it. There's additional layers that come with an investment custodian because you can buy things besides cash, right? Banks deal in cash. Right. So everything is cash or interest earned on cash. Right. But right? it's still all cash. Because the certificate of deposit is still cash. Cash. Yeah, right? It's, it's not like, hey, you know what? I'm going to take in gold coins to my bank. You know what they're going to tell you? Either we can sell those, get cash, and put it in your account for you, or you can stick them in your safe deposit box. Yeah, safe deposit box, but (laughs) But all we still own them. (laughs) Right, we're just we're just acting as a closet. You You know, that's what we are. We're just a a very secure closet. If you want to put things in, hey, I have one of those very secure closets. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've got the custodian bank limitation of cash, but the investment limitation is not cash. You can go out and buy other things and then hold title to those things, if you will, in your account. So Right. So you, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, all sorts of things. Right. Uh, derivatives. Also affectionately known as securities. Sure. Securities, fixed income instruments, even alternative investments. There can be private holdings, all kinds of interesting things that are sort of tracked from this one spot. So you get your account and your account gives you your inventory and you see the value of your inventory and the total value of everything usually at the bottom of the page. Right. And they're the record keeper, right? Right. Like they've And the record keeper is exactly like it sounds. They simply keep track of everything you own and what it's worth. Right. That's record keeping. And they keep track of when things come and go. Right. Why do we care? Uh, cost basis. Correct. Which means which means I need to know whether or not how much I paid for it yes, and then how much I sold it for and yes. whether or not I made money or lost money or broke even. Yes, yes, and yes. And also whether well, or not I owe taxes on it. Right. Over what period of time. Right. So whether or not right. I owe the IRS money for it or how it's held. Like, is it Correct. tax deferred? Is it? Yeah. Short term. So gains. the record keeper is going to notify the various parties that need to know about whether also or not profits IRS. occurred. Yeah, so <laughs> so for the IRS, it's it, and it's interesting what's required, but if you have an account and you have a bunch of buys and sells, but it's in a retirement plan, and you never take the money out of the account, you just trade, you know, I bought Amazon in my account and I sold it for a profit and now I hold cash in my account. 
it never came out of your account. It didn't transfer into another registration somewhere else. It's not like I moved it from my retirement account into a checking account and put it in a different retirement account. Right. Didn't do that. There's really nothing material to report to the IRS because the retirement account is still holding it tax deferred. Yeah, and it's the deferral part, right? It sort of says, well, the activity in this account, unless it's really special activity, and usually that means loans are associated with it, uh, that activity doesn't matter until you take the money out. Yeah. We care when it matters to us. Right. So the IRS cares when they're supposed to get their portion of So they care the when you take the money out and how old you are. Right. Because that's, that's how they, they determine taxes. Right. And so when they're considering taxes and they're doing the calculations, you know, that's when it's, again, that's when it's important to them. But on a brokerage account or an individual account or joint account. Yeah, that's account, a non-retirement. It's the same account. But the reporting requirements or the record keeping and who gets to know what about it is different. Well, there's no protective layer, right? It's not tax deferred. So it's now taxable money. Yes. So everything is sort of taxed as it occurs. Right. So then they need to know whether or not you've held it for less than a year or more than a year. Now, this, by the way, is one of those really important concepts that everybody needs to latch away because there's this real interesting concept about wealth tax right now that's being discussed politically. I'm not here to pick yeah. a side, but I am here to remind you that uh, the 1%, right, the ultra wealthy, or even the 0.1% in this country, the vast majority of their wealth is typically tied up in things that are not highly liquid. You know, we've talked about Bill Gates owns a lot of Microsoft stock, or uh, how um, uh, Jeff Bezos owns a bunch of Amazon stock, right. right? Larry Ellison owns a bunch of Oracle stock. So you get the sense of these these mega mega billionaires. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook stock, right? When you say we're going to make them pay a wealth tax on ten percent of their wealth, and you think about it and say, well, you know, they're ninety nine percent invested, one percent liquid. So a wealth tax on 10% of their wealth that exceeds 1% of their liquidity forces them to sell assets in order to pay the taxes. Which can potentially flood the market, drive right. the price it, down. It, 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 it can, could it cause can, a lot of volatility yes, in and, the and, actual company itself. And, and the unintended consequences, it damages everybody that has retirement accounts and investments like mutual funds and pensions that own these stocks right. that are huge high-value stocks yeah, you know, just giant market capitalization rates, and so, so lots not, and lots don't of just people hurt own them. them. You actually hurt everybody that owns a piece of the pie. Right, that's the and unintended consequence. There's a lot of pieces. There's a and, lot and of so pie holders. It's not a political statement. It's a mechanical, economic one about folks need to be aware that. Uh, first of all, I don't think there's any real intention to follow through on this. I think it's just a way of dividing up voters. I don't, I think that most of the politicians know that it's not a it's a pipe dream to say something like that. I mean, the So we've know, talked about we've talked about wealth and the concept of wealth mm-hmm. on the show. And and I bring up my personal testimony quite a bit um because I do foster care and I remember there was a parent who said to me, "Well, you're you're rich, you don't understand." Now, I don't view myself as rich by all means. Now, I realize I'm not in the 1% of the, you know, the United States that's ultra uber rich. But be careful about where you're setting that benchmark, right? Because it moves for everybody. And mm-hmm. I think when we think about millionaires and billionaires, we don't realize that they're not compensated again in the ways that the general public is compensated, right? Like they don't have a W-2 income necessarily. They may get compensated in other ways. 
they, so they have a lot less liquid worth. And so I, I think we do need to be aware of that. Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't want to turn this into a, a long discussion about those elements and and how taxes work. But it's this reminder, the custodian's tracking it anyway. <laughs> but you're right, for the, the ultra high net worth, there can be real unintended consequences to taxing things that are currently illiquid. Right. Right. Uh, we could have another long discussion about how some of that very policy is what led to the financial collapse of 2008. Now, there was a lot of other things that were wrong, but one of the specific things was something called mark-to-market accounting, where banks and brokerage firms that needed to have a certain amount of collateral on hand for the loans they had outstanding did have collateral, but that collateral was not liquid, right? Meaning it was not something that was readily available to sell and make a market somewhere. They didn't have a buyer. And when they were told, you need to have a value right now, and the only way you can get a value is to sell it, and there were no buyers, which meant the price just collapsed because they couldn't find anybody willing to buy it until it was at such a huge discount that it became it, it, it well the people that bought it were getting an amazing deal and the people that sold it were getting cut to the bone and at that point okay we've marked the value to market based on the requirement but now all of the value that was on our balance sheet has disappeared right and we don't have enough collateral for the loans which makes us insolvent right and now we fail as and that's a company. where like banks went out of business so like bear got, stearns you know yeah. that was one of the things is they were gone they had a liquidity crisis they were they forced to mark to market up. things that they didn't um that were liquid and and they were it was done uh, and and lehman brothers same thing so these were long-standing institutions and you know people were done after that so that's that's the kind of thing that can happen with unintended consequences of policy change the the idea behind it was sound it was well we want to make sure that these organizations have adequate capital to back their loans up until you realize that, well, the capital they had that previously had been allowed basically was no longer considered good capital, and it blew up the system. So why is this important today, folks, and you're going, where are you going with this? Well, well we started talking in the beginning about what's been on everybody's mind lately with Schwab. Yeah. Yeah, and, Schwab, and costs, and fees, and... There's this really interesting question that's been bugging me. And you're going to tell me that question, aren't you? Yeah. We're going to take our break. And when we come back, the question is, what's the price of value? Oh, that's a good All right. So what, what is the, is price, the of price of value? value? We're going to get into that when we come back. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. And, you know, all the other editions <laughs> that were there, too. So, uh, all right. Sorry. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> welcome back to the True Well Show. <laughs> the side conversations are almost just as fascinating as the show is sometimes. We just get off on tangents from time to time. Um, all right. So, 
before we left to the break, you asked, what is the price of value? Now, you didn't say, what is the value price? I did not. Which I think is interesting, because those are not the same question. No, they're not. They're, they're not. And it was it was a very intentional. And if you're trying to figure out what are they talking about, don't forget their podcast, right? Right. So you go back and check this one out. Go to littlejohnfs.com, and you can download uh, under, I think it's the uh, Educate tab. Uh-huh. And, and under Education, you can see our podcast and our you know YouTube channel and all that. But you can go grab this thing, and you can pull it out of iTunes or wherever you need to. Just look up the True Wealth Show from you know Little John Financial. But the price of value. Okay. The price of value. Okay. So if I have an item and I want to determine its value, how should I do that? Okay. Well, is first, that what we're trying to figure in out? In a sense, this is the fun thing about the financial world. Okay. You know, value has multiple meanings. Kind of like risk has multiple meanings. They, right. They're these homonyms. It's con- it context. You have to put it in the context. Yeah. So, you know, two words sound the same, have different meanings. Homonym. So <laughs> value is, who knew that value was a homonym? Uh, uh, in this case, there can be value as in uh, the value that you place on something, right? What is its, what's its worth to you? Okay. Okay. Then you can have things like values like principles. Oh, okay. Uh, but then the really interesting one is that you can have value meaning um, it's a it's a definition for of an investment where you are comparing the value what they call the book value of assets relative to the assets themselves. So, a company that trades at a discount book to value is traditionally considered a value investment. And to give you a more tangible definition, imagine that you had a company with a million shares outstanding. And it was currently trading for ten dollars a share. Okay. Then that company would be worth, in theory, ten million dollars. When you add up all of the stuff that they own, all of their factories and equipment and everything else inside of it, that company is twelve million dollars in assets. And you think, well, wait a second. If the company's got twelve million dollars worth of stuff, but it's trading at a price of ten million, what's going on? Well, it's a discount of its. Discounted price of book to value, right? So the book price is, is twelve million is lower than the actual value of the intrinsic assets. Oh, got it. Okay, so the book value would be ten million, but the actual value is twelve. Right. So okay. if you've got this discount book to value, then you're saying, well, what causes a company to have this circumstance? It is theoretically uh, there's a bad risk going on. Right. Something's out of whack where a company is trading for less than the value of its assets. But if that is being corrected, then that company is selling at a discount, which makes it an attractive investment. So it makes it a higher risk investment in theory because you've got something went wrong to make it worth less than the wholesale right, of its so parts. Right, so it's on sale. And you're but trying to figure out why it's yeah, on it's sale. Yeah, it's on a deep discount, so there's value, and then you get into really deep value where it's like, wow, why is it like you know people kind of look at Macy's or something and go, my gosh, look at the value of just the real estate they're sitting on, but the company stock value and the 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 valuation of this the 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 share price compared to all the assets underneath, it's hard to justify, right? Well, that's a commentary on the retail marketplace and how Amazon has changed retail. Oh my gosh. So Macy's has different systemic issues to deal with. But if you think about it as okay, well why are they priced below? There's your there's your question, right? Uh, classic famous value investor is Warren Buffett, 
who would buy companies based on believing that they're beneath their long-term value, but oftentimes we're below their book share value. So Interesting. Is that what he did go. with Berkshire Hathaway? Like the, yeah, that's, he bought... I mean, Berkshire Hathaway is essentially a holding company that owns lots of other companies inside of it. Is it? Yes. Oh, I didn't know so that. So Berkshire Hathaway owns... Because I know it's a real estate firm. Well, real estate is just the, the formal name of real estate. Remember, that used to be Allstate. And so Berkshire Hathaway purchased Allstate. Well, Berkshire Hathaway is the holding company or the parent company. Berkshire Hathaway also owns things like Geico. Oh, really? Right? Oh, or I didn't know that. I think they own Heinz Ketchup now. And they, <laughs> well, now I want to know what they Berkshire They own, uh, you know, like so Southern the, Continental Railroad or they're something. They're like I mean, the LLC that bought everything. They're yeah, the company they're a that holding bought company. Everything. The company that owns a bunch of companies. Uh, Gillette. You know, and and they, sometimes they own stock too. They don't own the whole company. Like they don't own all of Coca Cola, but you know, Coke is one of uh, Warren Buffett's favorite stocks. So he owns <laughs> uh, he owns Bank of America, but he doesn't own the whole bank. They own a bunch of stock. Got it. Uh, they so they sometimes they own whole companies. Sometimes they own stock. But that's the the thing. Is Berkshire Hathaway? Uh, back to the question of value here. The issue is really about. Oh boy, I, now you have to talk. I have to sneeze. Oh my gosh. Oh wow, that was a good one too. Well, I can't Sorry, even, I know. Where's the button to turn it off? I can't Yikes. even talk while you're sneezing that loud. Like it just blankets. I apologize to our listeners. And I, I'll figure out where the mute button is and not let our, that happen again. It's okay. My nose has been itchy too. It, the weather changing and all the seasons and everything. Snuck up it's on just, me. Woof. So anyway. Uh, so we're talking about value. Um, <laughs> did, I, oh, Dale's got, did I just totally throw off the calibration too? <laughs> He's trying to show you where the button is, so nobody has to listen to you sneeze well, on air again. Just, just turn it off. Did you, did you, like, did you hey, show him where the button is to turn mine hey, on? Hey, I have to sneeze. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's everybody. It's a live show, guys. You just gotta kind of roll one at times. At least we didn't swear. <laughs> Drop a punch, a bleep, bleep. Oh, <laughs> yeah. In the podcast, it's all bleeped out. Oh man. Okay, so we're talking about value and what people. Okay. Own. Bottom line is that there's all these different ways to uh, interpret stuff. value, and the one that I think we care about, though is when I say, what's the price of value? It's the subjective one. You know, how do you determine what something's worth? You use grandma's tea set as an example. Well, yeah, so I said, what well, you know, if you inherit something and you go, oh, my grandma's tea set is so valuable to me, and I, you know, I think it's worth $1,000, but it's not. Somebody on eBay is really, really willing to pay like 150 So then right. what? In that case, the value is determined not by you necessarily. It is because you get to determine whether or not you're willing to sell it. Right. But by the other buyer, that's so this is a great illustration of the stock market, by the way. So <laughs> let's talk about your grandma's tea set, Katie. Okay. And I come along and I say, Well, it's okay. You're like, nope, I'm gonna sell it for a thousand dollars. And I look at this and go, I am not paying you a thousand dollars for that. And then I say, Thank you, sir. On your way. Right. In which case the price is a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. Because Katie bought it. Right. You already own it, but in a sense, you said, well, I'm not willing to sell it for that. I'll keep owning it. Right. So my price is higher. I'm going to hang on to it. Right. Uh, I come along and say, uh, worth $400 to me. Ooh. And you go, mm, still mm. not quite where I want to be, though. Okay. Well, in that case, not $400. But the difference between my bid right. of $400 and, and my ask of 1000 so we have a $600 spread in between the bid and the ask on your tea set. Okay. Uh, now, how do you get the, the highest price possible? You, you really want to sell it. 
I really want to sell it. You really want to sell it. I want somebody to come up in their bid, though. Well, yeah. So what you hope is that you have something popular and you get lots and lots more people like me that start jockeying for position to try to get this thing. Right. Now, let's say that it comes along and I really want it. Okay. And I show up and I say, hey, I'll give you 400 bucks for it. And you say, No. No. And then my neighbor comes up and goes, I'll give you 600 bucks for it. And you go, Interesting. And you go, I'm <laughs> listening. And I go, no, 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 I'll give you 650 And I go, And you go, wait a second. And my neighbor goes, I'll give you 800 Ooh, now we're talking. Right? And then I go, fine, I'll just, I'll give you 900 Oh. Okay? And then the neighbor again says, no, 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 I, it's 1000 Now, do you immediately say sold? Not if you're in a bidding war. I would kind of wait to see... Where it's at, even though I really wanted a thousand dollars to sell it, you should say sold because that's really what I wanted. But if yeah. you're if you're pegging each other up, I might wait and let this ride out a little bit and see where it goes. Yeah, see that you could see the instinct on this one. Now let's pretend that you don't know who the players are. All you know is that you have an electronic screen where the most the highest current bid is what you see. Now, in theory, you might be able to see an order book, and you could see how many people underneath the highest bid existed. So if the highest bid disappeared, who's next in line and what are they willing to pay? So in the way I operate, so me personally, if I own the T-set and I said it's worth $1,000 and you came to me and said, I, I want to pay 1000 but I knew the guy behind you paid, said nine fifty, right? Mm-hmm. I would be willing to write it out a little longer to see if it goes up more. Now, if it doesn't, in my head, everybody nine, disappears and you're stuck with the T-set. Yeah, worst case scenario. Right. I was going to say, well, if I don't get the $1,000, then 950 still looks good. So Yeah, which so could even happen. even if I lose the top bidder, I might be okay with the second bidder too but see, to write it out. Now, here's the next thing to complicate this because this is how markets work. Katie doesn't have the only T-set. Oh. Okay. Somebody now, else pops up in the middle of the bidding. Not just somebody else, but now we have 5,000 people that have the same tea set on eBay. Oh, okay. that crushed me. Yeah. And there's 10 of us that want to buy them. Oh, there's the market's flooded now. Market's flooded. And somebody's willing to put low bid, no reserve, and I bid a $35 bid. And you got it. it. And I could get it. Right. So my thousand dollar T set's not worth a thousand dollars. Thousand dollar T set at least yeah, last offer was thirty five bucks and that and it actually posted, it actually sold for that. So in the way the stock market works, they would po- publish the last sale and that would be the, the current closing price. Ugh. Then you'd see the bid and the ask from there, but you'd know what the last confirmation was. That would be hard. So this is how markets sort of work in real life. It does. And actually this so let's move away from the T set for a minute. This is actually what happens in real estate. Right. So you have kind of what the what the seller is asking and what the buyer is willing to pay. Right. So you have the bid and the ask. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is there can be a foreclosure or something in the area that sells for a significant discount and all of a sudden can devalue what's on the market a little bit around it because they go, well, the last house sold was this one. Ah, So you're falling into a a little bit of a trap, in my opinion. Okay. And that is because real estate markets, the way people try to determine price is by using comparable sales. Right. So if there's a foreclosure, the perception is that that devalues the properties in the area because on a relative basis, it now means that somebody else was able to purchase for a lower price, which means everybody else should be able to purchase for a lower price. However, if that foreclosure is an anomaly and nobody else is willing to sell, and then one house comes up, and that's the only one, and lots of people want to be in the area, 
the price doesn't suffer. True. Okay, because it still comes down to supply and demand. The higher the demand for an item, right, versus the supply. When there's 5,000 tea sets and 10 bidders, the tea set is very low value. When there's 10 tea sets and 5,000 bidders, the tea set has a much higher value. There you go. Because now you have lots of people competing. This feels like a, economics small, 101 in high school. Well, it truthfully is. Supply and demand is what determines the price. So let's get back now to this price of value, right? How do? What's the price of value? Okay, what is the price of value? Well, it depends on your definition of value. Which we've been trying to work on. Well, we've talked about... Uh, How we establish we've value. We've talked about it in terms of like a, a, a company value, but now I want to talk about, what about a service? Oh, okay. that's a good one. So how do we know whether or not we're getting value in service? We're going to cover that, but we do have to take our next break. Our next break. So we'll be back. We're going to get into this one, and we're going to figure out, are you getting what you're paying for? So stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shark. we got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to True the Wealth. True Wealth Radio Show. I know. Katie desperately wants a jingle. I do. Uh, I don't know where that person came from either. There's obviously some little like 50s girl that lives inside of me and is one of my alter egos. Yeah. Who you, wants the. You jingle. got me. I, I don't I know. know. So, price of value. Value and We just service. determined, yeah, we determined the price based on supply and demand. But the interesting one, I think the one that we need to really examine in the context of what's going on in the financial services world. Because, you know, you guys that are listening here, look, it's called the True Wealth Show. We talk about money, right? We talk about how money the way influences the system- your life, how it moves yeah. through your fingers. And the way the system is built, because my thinking is if you can have a better understanding of how all this stuff fits together, then you understand how to navigate it better and you can really get what you're looking for. And to me, value is all about getting what you're looking for at a price you're willing to pay where you don't feel like you're being taken advantage of or uh, being ripped off in the process and so forth. Now, I will say this. The industry has done a really weird job on itself by trying to convince customers that everything should be free. Yeah, why? nobody wants to work for free. How did that happen? Well, I think what happens is this is just where folks miss it. And as soon as you point it out, everybody goes, well, okay, that's true. There's no such thing as a free lunch. No, there's always strings attached. Somebody out there is saying, well, you know, I've had a free lunch and blah, blah, blah. No, no. I mean, there's always somebody that gave up something. Okay, You may end up being the net beneficiary, but somebody else provided it somehow or another. The economic forces do not just materialize from the ether. You know, (laughs) the work happened somewhere. Right. So if you're trying to say, well, no, I just ate free range berries. It's like, well, did you pick them? 
Okay, then there was some form of effort. It wasn't free. You had to put the effort there instead of somewhere else. <laughs> free range berries. <laughs> okay, I mean, like it's not like they just—it's not flew, chicken, David. Flew through it the air. Run around. They, they do. It's, you should see them roaming at night. Uh, but the idea here is there's no free lunch. Okay. No. There's an economic principle at work here. So if it's getting paid for in some form or fashion by somebody somewhere, then. This idea that things are free can be really misleading. I mean, for example, you right now are listening to this radio program, or maybe you're listening to the podcast. What do you think? How, how did this all happen? It's not like the studio mysterious, mysteriously just showed up and there's, you know, there's electricity powering everything to get it to you. You're not opening up your wallet right now to pay to listen to this. No, but all the sponsors and all the advertisers are opening their wallet right. to pay for it because they want market share of your ear. Exactly. Lots of people have said, we will pay because we want to rent your ears or your eyes. There you go. They want you to hear what's going on in the chance that there is a message associated. I mean, heck, at the very beginning of this program, it says the following is a paid presentation and blah, blah, blah. Yes, it's true. We actually... Do pay to be pay here. To be here. Yeah, we don't somewhat. get paid to be here. Yeah, and, and they'll say, here. why do you do that? Okay, well, look, two things. One, I actually do really love the education component to, that we offer. Me too. Right? So that part means a lot. But it's not lost on us that if we provide a good quality service, service yeah, and at some point you're out there listening and you think, um, I might I could, need an advisor. Yeah, Maybe I, I could, should call them. I could use some help, and these people seem like they're pretty genuine folks right yeah that's sort of the idea is this really long slow steady game of we do it because we want the community to benefit and we indirectly benefit anyway what right. happens is if you're super successful and do a really good job eventually your time's going to get so filled up that you're going to have to make a decision about i need i can't change my own oil anymore i need help i need to get people and then we're kind of going well hey if you need people we know people right <laughs> we are people so we are your people. That's that's the, the story. <laughs> so, so it's not free. Service. No, and, right? and it's, I it's, had asked you when Schwab made that announcement. I was like, "What's the catch?" Right. I mean, I I flat out looked at David and said, "That that doesn't sound right." What's the catch? Like, I was super skeptical. Yes, about and rightfully that so. But Schwab made a very tactical decision. And if you remember, Charles Schwab is a custodian. We started out the program describing what that means, and so many investors hold their investments in accounts at Charles Schwab. Right. Charles Schwab says, we are no longer going to charge transaction fees or commissions when we buy or sell stocks for you or mutual funds okay. or a list of other things. But you can buy things transaction free. They had been lowering the price. Years ago, it was you know $15 per transaction. Then it went down to Eight ninety five or seven ninety five, and then it was four ninety five. So five dollar transactions looks way cheaper than fifteen. And then they just said, you know what? Forget it. We're going to zero. Yeah. And everybody had this moment of pause where all the industry competitors went, "Oh man, Schwab just went to zero. What are we going to do now?" Because everybody's going to look and say, "Well, I can go to Schwab and get it for free," which is still, I'm my yeah, I'm still out on that one. I I just don't believe that anything's free. It's not free. Okay. How is Schwab making their money? I'm hoping you're going to answer that question. Yeah. So in essence, Schwab is also a bank. And so when you invest with Schwab and you keep anything in their money market accounts, then they're using that cash to and loan it's, out and and it's being loaned out and, and they're making money in other places. Right. So. Well, and as we've started to dig 
a little deeper, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one. It seems like where they're trying to get you a little bit, right, reclaim some of that money is saying like, well, there's no transaction fees, but there's, um, you know, a technology suite. So if you want to be able to look at stuff online or do different things, then you got to pay a technology fee instead or something, sure. something kind of. It's like, OK, we're going to we're going to take it down to zero here, but we're going to charge you over here. So they're not the same things. And this gets us the headlines. But but your account's still not like if yeah, you want I mean, all the well, bells and whistles, you're, it's not going to be free. I haven't seen I haven't seen that to know for certain. But you know, keep in mind that there's a difference between having a, an account at Charles Schwab where you're the one that's making all the investment decisions, versus, and you are the fiduciary yeah, for your it's, own it's, account. It's it's, it's self service, right? They're right. just the custodian, and you go online and use their tools. Versus you can work through an advisory firm. They will partner with Schwab as the custodian, and then the advisor works as your direct interface and representative and so at that point they're using different sets of tools and then you're charged you're being charged a fee for the advisor separate right. from what schwab might charge you but schwab right. is, is the race to zero right if i did some homework on this and i th i believe that it's somewhere around six percent of schwab's total revenue came from trading oh so they so they gave up six percent of their revenue in order to make it highly competitive against their the rest of the marketplace, right? If they so take TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, Scott Trade. So how much know, of the market more would they need to take in order to make up for that six percent? I don't know the answer because they, tr you know, they make billions of dollars, but it was a very tactical move because you know you turn around and saw TD Ameritrade make the same change, but it was like eighteen percent of their revenue. So it was they got hammered when they took the same step that Schwab did. And they were trying to do it first. They were trying to implement it before Schwab was. I don't selling. know. I don't know. Uh, I know that Schwab was the one that fired the first shot, and then people have been scrambling ever since. Now I got to tell you that it's not. There's just more to what's going on behind the scenes than what's maybe evident to just look at a Schwab or an E Trade or any of these players that are now saying zero commission. So I'm going to bring up. Um, I'm going to flip the script a little bit so i would say this is like going online and saying my budget is twenty thousand dollars for a car and buying the first car that meets your budget like you didn't evaluate the car explain because i well yeah so, i'm not i'm not sure where you're talking about so yet. here's what i'm saying is like if you think okay i'm just gonna go open an account at schwab and i'm gonna have zero fees and that's it and i'm gonna invest there right like now i don't feel like anybody did their homework right they didn't find out what their investment options are. They didn't find out what platform they're using, how easy it is to use. So my point being, like, if you were to go online and just say, I'm just going to buy the first car that's $20,000. Okay, you didn't do your homework. You didn't evaluate whether or not the car was in good condition, whether or not it met your needs, you know, whether or not it had all four wheels. Like, so right now, the headline, and the reason I'm kind of comparing it to a car is just to give people, I guess, a different metaphor, is, um, you know, it sounds good, right? Like, oh, no transaction fees. It's like, okay, you're buying a car based on one thing, but you're not looking at the whole set. I know that we have worked with different custodians in our office, mm -hmm. and they aren't all equal. No, Like, not. they've all had different levels of technology. They've all had different levels of customer service. Some have had great technology and horrible customer service. Truth. Other people have had great customer service and mediocre technology. Also truth. Right? And so all I'm saying is that, you know, if you base it all on one thing, that better be a very important one thing. 
because there's a lot of different options. You know, like it's some are easier to navigate. So, I mean, Schwab's going, hey, come sign up with us because we're going to charge you less. But we also talked about value of time, right? If you have to spend five times as long to get your trade done, you've lost some value there. So just because it's cheaper doesn't always make it easier or better. Well, see, I think that Schwab was super clever. Mm. Super clever. But I think that our listeners are every bit as clever. And we hope if, you are. <laughs> if you if you look behind the motivation, I think you can discern that there's something else going on that one should look at, right? So the question is, what, what should is we it? be looking at? Yeah. And I'm going to share it, but we'll take our last break. So stick around because all of you clever listeners, we're going to unpack in the last segment. What did Schwab do that was so clever, but how are we going to outsmart them? That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, home stretch of the True Wealth Show. And if you were just joining us, podcast at littlejohnfs.com, also on iTunes, it's on Blueberry, it's a number of places. You can find it out there. Look for the True Wealth Show from Little John Financial. There you go. Uh, we're discussing the price of value. Yes, the price right? of value. And uh, for all of you just joining, but I know you listeners that were here uh, at the break, here's the, the thing that's, uh, I think you guys are clever and I think you're smart. Right. Okay, because all of our listeners are smart. If you're not listening to this show, you're dumb. Oh, wait. <laughs> that's a blanket uh, <laughs> statement. Okay. <laughs> because if you're not listening, you never heard me say that. Uh, anyway, if you think about this, uh, Schwab, I think, was really clever. Oh, they were super yeah, clever. When, when they moved to zero, marketing. they sacrificed some revenue, and their stock price paid for it in the short term. But they understood that by doing that, they forced everybody else to accelerate their time frame to get rid of commission costs. Ah. That was a major revenue source for other firms, and so they took revenue out of the pot, and they didn't hurt themselves very much in the process, and now they can market more, and they're going to capture more market share. More people will say, maybe I should move to Schwab because, look, there's zero trading costs. Right. You know, and so TDM and everybody else followed suit, but they they just stripped a bunch of revenue out. So now they're not going to have the same resources for marketing and technology development and so forth. So it was really a clever move. But I think our listeners are smarter than that. Okay. Because I think Schwab did something really important that has been a trend in the industry for a long time. And what was that? They convinced everybody that the metric of most importance is exclusively price. So they just helped. Okay. Let's think about this as, you know, pick your favorite pizza joint that's amazing versus cardboard delivery pizza. 
Okay, which one is better? My favorite pizza joint. Right. Which one costs more? My favorite pizza joint. Good chance, right? <laughs> I mean, you can buy cardboard pizza from the grocery store uh, at cardboard a super budget. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or you can get good pizza. Now, there is a price difference. There's a huge quality difference. And I would say there's a place and a time for everything. Because there's times when I buy the cheap cardboard pizza because it feeds the masses and it's cheap. And there's times when I buy the gourmet pizza because I want a really good bite to eat. <laughs> right. Well, you're paying for a different type of experience. Right. Okay. You are. And so the level of quality matters. And that's not to suggest that that Schwab is low quality. No, not at that's, all. That has nothing to do and with And by it. the way, I'm not anti-Schwab. I mean, I, right. I'm trying to explain. Like, you I know, think it I, was I brilliant. I want you to, to evaluate. Like anytime you buy something... You should evaluate what you're buying, right? Is I, it a good value to that's you? That's the key. The value question is, okay, it's not just what are you what are you spending on it? What are you getting for it? And here's the example that I would share. Uh, for investment advisors, I mean, the professionals out there are really trying to figure out how to justify their value. And you know what I say to that? Good. Yeah. Right? Good. Because the days of just showing up and convincing people that don't know as much as you do that they should invest with you, and because you simply showed up and wore a tie, you know enough that they should trust you with their money. And so people go and they buy a pile of mutual funds and set it and forget it, and that made a living doing it. I think, well, that's not where the profession needs to head. I think that advisors should be providing advice. It's in the name. Right. Yeah. Advisors advise, don't it, they? Yeah, and not like once, but ongoing. Yes. Yeah. So when you think about that, I think, well, what do I pay for if I hire an advisor? So, well, the investments are part of it, but we've already established that you can go to a Schwab or a Fidelity or somewhere like that that's going to, or Vanguard, you know, they can do investments pretty cheap. Yeah, they can. Right. Okay. So now they've already established that well, we know what the cost of the basic pieces are. It's like buying Lego blocks, right? But now, assembling those Lego blocks into the structure that you want, okay, going to take a little more skill. And I think the really good advisor takes into account more than just the investments. I think they look more holistically at the moving parts you have. So do I have you know, a mortgage that I may refinance or insurance that could be consolidated with an agent and getting a household discount that makes things more attractively priced. Or children that want to go to college or, you know. How about uh, if I was to restructure where I was putting assets to create more tax efficiency in, re in retirement? So it actually took less money in total to be retired because I'm more tax efficient. Uh, amen to that right. one. So, well, and there's another thing that you bring up. I know we're getting really low on time right now, though, but is transparency. You keep talking about having more and more transparency, right? Like the fees and stuff all used to be hit a little bit more yeah, hidden. It's and, okay to know what you're paying yeah. for. I, I think that's the key is, you know, I, I take my car in to get it serviced. Okay. And could I maybe figure out how to do it? Yeah, actually, I'm pretty technically inclined. And so I could figure out how to fix my car. Not worth it to me. Hire it done, happy to do so, have a good experience, they take good care of me, and they stand behind their work. Right. So, worth it. Right. Okay, I outsource that part of my life because they deliver as much value as I'm paying for. Right. So, I don't begrudge that. The same way, I know this will sound like heresy to some people, but I don't mind paying some taxes. I don't want to pay crazy amounts of taxes, but I get services. I like having 
streets and law enforcement and firefighters. Street sweepers. And, yeah, I, Even I, just like simple things like having my street yes. cleaned. I appreciate that yeah, fact. I, I like organized society and I'm willing to chip into the kitty for it. I like that there's an education system. Can take some issue with how it happens and so forth, but that's normal. But I'm not against those things. Right. I think I get some value for it. I just don't think I always get what I pay for. <laughs> okay, And that's the issue for all of us out there. Is I think it's one thing to have somebody tell you, oh, you're getting value. It's another thing to feel like you're getting value. So I think that's the key. And if you're going out there finding an advisory relationship, you want to feel like you're getting value. You don't just want to think you're getting value or right. be told you're getting value, right? Right. Like it should be legitimate. So anyway, that's the key for the day. Uh, the, the takeaway is what's the price of value? Well, you're going to determine it, but you'll know when you see it. Okay. But you'll don't, know when you feel but it. But don't think it's free. Okay, free is a trap. If you are not paying for the product, you are the product. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, how do they reach us, Katie? 541-375-0898. All right, gang. So thanks, as always, for joining us. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. Katie Shook. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.